Orange is the New Black, Season 3, Episode 3 is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. My name is Jessica Lees, and we've got a great episode, a really wrenching and upsetting episode in many ways, but a great episode nevertheless to recap, and with me as always is someone who's marginally less of a scumbag than a random (laughs) biker from Coxsackie who married my sister. Here is Miss Taylor Cotter. Hello, Jessica. So that was quite a ride. I think we. I think it is safe to say we are definitely fully into the Orange Is the New Black season at this point. Yes, they reminded us that this show is sad for a lot of different reasons, and uh, I am heartbroken at the moment. Yeah, it's really much further on the bitter spectrum of bittersweet. This yes. episode, um, and really kind of one of the first episodes that really takes a huge chunk of it to tell one story Um, similar to um the there was a recent orphan black episode that focused entirely on allison and there was the recent game of thrones episode that devoted half the episode to the battle of hard home here we have what might possibly be nikki's farewell in the series and this was really an upsetting moment um where she just kind of orchestrated her own demise. Yeah, what a loss. Like, I, uh, Nikki is such a great character on the show that I almost feel like never got her full story told. And, uh, it's, uh, it's a bummer if we're losing her because she's one of the greats. Yeah, I think without her kind of dry commentary on everything, we really lose a lot of the, um, a lot of the humorous heart of the show. Right. She was one of the kind of the straight people on the show, you know, that very relatable, very easy to uh, kind of see her point of view on things. So uh, definitely a bummer uh, that she is on her way to the max. Yeah. Not in the Save by the Bell way. Yeah. And not in the Dawson way. Um, yeah. It's really the worst kind of max there is. Yeah. Um, so... I guess the entry point here is um, we find out what happened to Chekhov's heroine. Yes. And, yeah, a little anticlimactic, uh, but uh, Nikki stole her own stash and just uh, hid it a few feet away from where uh, it was originally hidden and uh, definitely uh, kind of had... I kind of wish we saw more of her decision-making, I guess, because it seemed like one of the big plot points at the end of season two was like, what's Nikki going to do? Is she tempted by this heroine? What's going to happen? And then uh, we, instead of kind of going on that sort of emotional roller coaster with her, uh, we were left out of her thought process there. Yeah, but is that really a complicated decision? Um, I think we've seen, certainly last season, we got a lot of moments of Nikki's struggle with addiction, even in inside a prison where she's been clean for a couple of years. Right. She has mentioned several times that she still thinks about it all the time. Right. And that she really can't be around it. And when she finally is around it, I think it's pretty clear she's an addict and she wants the heroine and the heroine is there. That's not a complicated desire for her. Yeah. Um, And I think the fact that she's the one who stole the stash, we we know the motivation behind that. Um, Pretty much she just wants to do all the heroine. And I think there's not a lot of ways that we could creatively show that inner monologue without kind of dragging the storyline down 
yeah, you're probably right. I, I, uh, it just sucks, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I, um, she became a little harder to empathize with, um, throughout this, even though, like, um, I think because, like, addiction is such a complicated thing to talk about and then portray on screen. So, uh, I, yeah, I guess I wish we just, we kind of saw a lot of stuff going around, going on around her, kind of a little more uh, transactional stuff and uh, a little less emotion from her. And I wish we had seen more, but I... I like her. I really, really, really hope she's on her way back at some point. Yeah. And I think Nikki is kind of the opposite number from somebody like Bennett, um, where she is very endearing. Mm -hmm. um, And we've liked her all along. We feel like fundamentally she's a good person. But what we've learned here is that you can be a good person. And you can be someone that you really, that everybody really identifies with and feels sympathy for. But she still seems kind of irredeemable. Yeah, I mean, it's a really hard thing, and I think we didn't, like, we almost didn't get enough of her backstory, I think, because I think uh, there's a huge gap from being a, a, you know, rich kid whose parents ignored you to, uh, you know, uh, cab-crashing heroin addict. Yeah, that's true. There's plenty of rich kids that get neglected by their parents that don't end up hooked on heroin. Right, and... Uh, her mother, who at the in the first episode, we were like, oh, like she's a bad mom, and you know she ignores Nikki. Um, you know, really kind of turned around that she did everything she could for her. It really seems like so. Yeah, and I think I think Nikki's rationale that um, her mother just threw money at the problem. There's a little bit of truth in that, but there's also I think it's also kind of a flimsy excuse. Exactly, because throwing money at the problem to get her great lawyers and all that, you know, that's that's what you want in that situation. You know, it's definitely it, it, it might be superficial. It might not be the emotional connection that she's looking for, but it's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. Yeah. And her, I think it is there is a grain of truth to the fact that I don't think her mother really had the emotional bond that she could have had with Nikki, but it's also true that Nikki didn't want to be saved. And that's kind of the theme of the episode is that she's looking for oblivion and she is putting up this sort of self-destructive streak as a defense mechanism, even in prison, even after she's learned all the lessons she has learned, she's still the same person fundamentally that she is in her flashback. Yes. And I think being betrayed by Luchek, was pretty terrible, and I can't imagine that uh, anyone would react well to something like that. Yeah, and that was... You know, the Nikki Lushek team at first, I was enjoying the way they're playing off each other. They're kind of acting like partners, and then again we get smacked with this, like, there is a real imbalance here. You can't ever have a pure friendship with someone um, who is in a position of power over you in the prison system. Yeah, you know, sometimes like uh, when Rob or when any of us talk about Survivor, it's like uh, it's like you 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 can't trust anyone, but you have to trust someone. That's kind of uh, the prison <laughs> situation as well, I think. So it's like, OK, what was she? You know, she had to give all this, uh, put all this in confidence with Luchek and because she didn't have a choice and he did seem like he cared about her. But when push comes to shove, he's not going to 
he's not going to stand up for her. And she should have known that, uh, yeah. known that was coming. Someone who's a big enough scumbag to sell your heroin for you is probably a big enough scumbag to rat you out. Yes. Yes. That's the lesson that we take away from here. <laughs> um, yeah. And Lushek, he's still kind of someone, even in this moment of doing something really, really horrible to Nikki. And even in this like questionable gray area of morality that he's been in this entire season, He's still funny and like his reactions to everything, he's still kind of that goofy, affable guy, which is a really strange disconnect as well. Yes. Yeah. He, everyone is all shades of gray on this show. So, uh, yeah, he was doing kind of, I think we have on this show, we have like bad people doing good things. We have good people doing bad things and we have, you know, every combination thereof. And I kind of think he's a good person doing bad things. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least a likable person. Right. Who turns out to be mostly bad, but yes. yeah, but we've got, we had some great moments. Um, I think Nikki got a, got a pretty good closure with just about everyone that she needed the closure with. Um, right. And it was really like possibly the saddest moment I think was her send off at the end. Maybe the saddest moment of the whole series to date. Mm-hmm, with Red and Lorna that they love her and care about her so much. Yeah. And she really isn't wired to give that back. Like, just like her mother said. Um, and then her line at the end that, um, that red's not her mother. She wouldn't wish that on anybody. Yeah. I, I think the theme of this whole season and the three episodes that we've gone through so far, it's, you know, mothers, (laughs) you know, and maybe, you know, I probably should have picked that up in the first episode, (laughs) but, uh, you know, first episode all about Mother's Day and the complicated relationship that all these women have being mothers or with their mothers. Second episode, tons of Dias stuff, as well as Piper being like, I'm turning into my mother at the end of the episode. And now this episode is all Nikki and her real mother and then her relationship with Red. So yeah, mom stuff. Yeah, definitely. There's been a lot of mom stuff. I mean, we had a fair amount of mom stuff last season as well yeah. um with the kind of the toxic version of the prison mother um yes and i think any show that's got this many women and this many relationship dynamics between women you can't get away from like the mother child dynamic yes agreed yeah and i think i think we're also getting a lot of strange power balances here and kind of the point that's been nailed home at least in this past two episodes is that you know if you're a prisoner, you really can't have a normal relationship with somebody who is not. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And um, especially when the people around you that aren't prisoners inherently have power over you. Yeah. Yeah. And so we find out specifically, I think this has been mentioned before in the series, but we find out specifically why Nikki wound up in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, she steals a rare book for drug money and then gets busted with a whole bunch of heroin on her. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. I mean, and it, we've had some instances where people have said they're in for something that they're not really in for, but this was, right. yeah, this is pretty straight up. Um, and we also, you know, we, we get kind of, the end like it's good that we're not going to see that heroin again let's get it out of there send it to utica we don't need it anymore um and without v there i think hopefully we're not going to see any more hard drugs for a while i think so or i hope i hope that's the situation it seems like the smuggling 
was a huge plot point in the first two seasons that they are hopefully moving away from. Yeah, I think we don't need to know, like, who's going to fill that gap that, you know, Red has left behind, that V has left behind. I'm sure it's still going to be there because there's a lot of stuff you can't get in the commissary, but, you know. As as Soso reminded us in the improv class, transactions are not interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I knew we were going to have to, we're going to have to spend a lot of time on this drama class because, for those of you who do not know, Taylor is an accomplished improviser. Jess is about bed bugs. (laughs) That's how I am about improv. So I'm super excited about this. Yeah, um, and I like that. I like Birdie has really, she's kind of the MVP of the episode. Yeah, this was very bizarre, and I'm still trying to get a read on her because they're very clear. They're like, yeah, we all love her, and like, she's our friend, and they love, they're so excited to go to this class with her, and she kind of has this rapport with all of them. But I'm not, I want to know what her deal is because she definitely isn't just like sweet drama teacher. Like, she's got to have something going on there. Yeah, or maybe she is at this point, and she's going to not be later on, because you know this place, you can't be like that forever. But maybe the whole reason that Healy had a bad feeling about her is that she was going to come in and do all the things that he has tried and failed to do so many times. Yeah, and that, that, oh my god, I loved when he was like, Alex Bows, you dumb bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Like, her reaction was so genuine and wonderful that I was just like, oh, this this is perfect, so... Uh, if anything, it's clear that Healy does not have have a read on women and has no relationship with uh, these girls. Yeah, but I think Alex has Bertie's number um, pretty well. Yeah, true. Like she thinks she's one of the good guys, and Alex, I think, has summed up the entire series pretty perfectly in her speech to Bertie, where she says, "Guess what? We all think we're good guys." Yep. Yep. And I think that's kind of, it, we always talk about recurring motifs on this show, and that's the biggest one. Yes, I agree. That And that's what Piper was struggling with so much in the last episode, and that's what, yeah, uh, Luchek and all these people. So I think that was a, a pretty good monologue that she did that really hit that, hit that home. Yeah, so she could bring that to drama class. Be well-received. Yeah, so how do you feel about the improv? Is this pretty well presented? Like, we didn't get any chlamydia dell'arte? Yes, uh, <laughs> it was uh, It was pretty on point. Um, it's not, uh, totally unsurprising to me. Like, this is a New York show, and a lot of people in the New York improv scene overlap with a lot of people in the New York TV scene. So um, it, it's a little meta, I think, um, because I'm sure a lot of the writers on this show are improvisers and comedians. Um, so I, it's always kind of like uh, funny. I think like, uh, broad city did a scene where they go to an improv show. Like it's, uh, so it's always a little too meta, I think, but, uh, it's, you know, every improviser's favorite thing to talk about is improv. So, uh, I'm sure they had a great time putting this into the show, but yeah, it was very on point. Uh, and if you, uh, do a lot of improv, like I do, you know, that, uh, like Alex and Piper having that very real scene, uh, that's kind of, uh, that kind of stuff happens all the time. So it was really wonderful to watch. Yeah. And the, the call out of the bad improviser, not accepting anybody's offers. I thought that yes. was pretty on point too. That's not a phone either. That's a dick. Yep. Oh my, that, that's one of my favorite things. And that's such, oh, it's such an improv joke. And, 
Oh, I loved it so much. Yeah, my notes for this is just, I love improv. I'm so happy they did this. <laughs> yeah, and I thought that the, like, even out of context, like, my husband's walking through while I'm watching the scene of Piper and Alex doing their improv scene. He thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Um, just that they're very clearly not talking about fruit, and they keep having to come back to the fruit metaphor. Yeah. Um, it adds some levity to their situation, and I don't know that I buy that they could fully kiss and make up through a three-minute improv scene, but, you know, I'm not an improviser. Taylor, maybe you can speak to the healing powers of improv. Yeah, I no, I don't think it's that could really happen, but I'm sure I get that it I get the power of it, (laughs) you know, that uh, kind of the ability to work out your problems in the context of improv is very, very popular and very uh, not necessarily effective, but I've seen people do it a million times. So, um, yeah, when especially if you're uh, like I'm in an improv community, everyone's very close. There's lots of, you know, there's friends, there's people that are dating, there's people that used to date, all that kind of stuff happens all the time. So. Uh, I, I have seen this before. Yeah, in a way, it is like its own little prison, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> more in more ways than one. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, I knew this was coming because um, people uh, were tweeting that uh, so 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 uh, name dropped to the UCB and was very, uh, so people were very excited to get some improv shoutouts on the show. Yeah, like raise your hand if you're surprised that Soso has taken an improv class at UCB. Absolutely not. Soso, and we can briefly talk about this because it was not that important. Uh, Soso is the character I relate to most. (laughs) (laughs) Because A, yeah, no surprise there that she took an improv class. And then uh, her after uh, hooking up with Nikki being like, do you still like me? Can we still be friends? I was like, oh, that's a Taylor Cotter line. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I am um, a huge Soso fan and I want more of her than just as comedic relief. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure at some point we're going to be getting a Soso flashback and we're going to oh. find out a little bit more about, about her. I don't think she's just a bundle of cliches, but uh, there's got to be some. There's got to be one little grain of something in there that completely subverts everything we know about Soso, and I'm I, looking forward to finding out what that is. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Um. So we also got like back in the laundry room. We got a pretty funny moment. Now, if you had told me that there was going to be a moment of hilarity involving getting high on heroin, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd believe you, but. I think in a, insofar as you can have somebody do heroin and make it be funny. Yes. I think maybe Little Miss Sunshine did that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And this show did that when Angie and Leanne got their hands on that heroin. Yes, they were. That was very, very funny. Uh, something like, and we haven't discussed this very heavily. There's like a weird subplot in all the episodes of this sort of mystical stuff that's going on at the, the- uh, oh my God, I almost said at the theater, um, at the prison. <laughs> And um, that people are, you know, m- trying to make wishes and these wishes come true and everything. And uh, yeah, heroin falling from the sky falls into that, uh, uh, that uh, mysticalism. Yeah. And I think some of the people seem to believe that um, Norma's mysticism was partially responsible for banishing V last season. 
And it seems to be that's kind of where her legacy is. And we haven't really talked about the glow-no mysticism that is going on in the prison. Um, so, yeah, it looks like the floral bondage cleansing session yes. reaped some benefits. Yeah, didn't hurt. So uh, I, it's kind of funny if they're bringing in these, su- these supernatural things, but... Uh, yeah, it, I think, uh, I guess this gave Leanne and Angie something to do. <laughs> they are very excited about it. And then they were, it seemed like they had no problem uh, reaping the benefits of that by turning in uh, Luchek. Yeah, and, you know, obviously not the brightest bulbs in the lamp. Um, right. Stuff the heroin in the bra, all of it, and make it very easy for Luchek to mm. retrieve it and... You know, that money is going to go straight into the casino. We're never going to see it again. I know. But, yeah, and once again, Angie Lingan, the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern mm-hmm. of Litchfield Penitentiary. Yes. They got yes. a little bit of a moment here um, that's beyond them having a kind of hilarious misconception about something in the world. Right. So. Yes. Yeah, um... And another story that the heroine kind of played into, um, we go back to the, you know, everybody's favorite portion, the um, HR goings on. Let's feel it. Word's starting to get around that the prison's going to be closing. Yeah. And um, Caputo doesn't want to raise alarm with anybody, so he's really not spreading anything around until he has exhausted all of his options. So we get the triumphant return of Natalie Figueroa, who apparently did not pay any consequences for anything she did last right. season. Yes, but yeah, she left her job, her gay husband won his election, and they moved to Albany. Yeah, fabulous yeah. new house with window treatments, and looks nicer than what I would expect you could you could have on a state legislator's salary, so maybe some of that sweet prison money is still floating around there. Yes, makes sense. Um, and so... I uh, I don't want this, uh, like I said, uh, the administrative drama bores me a little bit, but um, bringing, uh, so they are, Figueroa was previously contacted by a private prison company that's interested in purchasing the prison. Yeah, um, and this is going to, if this is something that goes through, yeah. this is going to be very interesting because um, I think... It's an unexplored prison-related subject that could end up raising a lot of discussion. I think it's going to be very good for the show um, because privatization of prisons is something that is a very real issue in this country and something that I think people don't really think about. Right. So to put this into the series, it makes a lot of logical sense from a storytelling standpoint. It keeps the prison open and it also, you know, we can start to see why that is a terrible thing and we shouldn't be doing it. Right. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. It's it, yeah. It fits in very uh, nicely with the narrative while also kind of, I think uh, this show does feel like it has some sort of social responsibility to uh, tell real stories about uh, prison life in the United States. So I'm excited that they are exploring this, even as long as it's not another big, more transactions. I don't want any more of that. Just yeah. Kind of, yeah, yeah. We've we've had plenty of transactions. It's a reason that's not a show about the prison commissary. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so elsewhere in the staff, um, Healy has had a great moment um, where once again he and he and Red 
have a conversation about his issues that ends up being extremely awkward. Mm-hmm. And once again, it's a kind of a power imbalance because Red may not want to help him, but she doesn't really have a choice. Right. Yeah, it's a total non-conversation, basically. He's like, you will have a conversation with my wife and translate for her, which is seems more some there's not really a language barrier there. It's more of a inability to have a conversation. And considering that Red was very uh, upfront with him about her marriage and like what they, you know, they kind of got into this fight about it. It seems like it was more, there was more emotional reason to have her there than logistical. Yeah. Yeah. And then Red ends up kind of doing the exact same thing that Healy does to her frequently, which is um, she's supposed to be talking about his problems and she ends up projecting her own onto the situation. Right. I still I don't really understand, though, why she defended him. Yeah, I don't either. It seems like I haven't seen that moment where she really understood where he was coming from. We didn't have that kind of catharsis where suddenly she would be kind of on his team. Right. And so that's what I was trying to figure out. Like, is she faking this? But uh, like for his sympathy? Um, but I'm really it didn't seem like it. It seemed very genuine. Yeah. Um, well, and she has some resentment toward her own husband right now. Right. Like she, and I think she probably has some general resentment toward the Russian mail order bride industry. <laughs> like, I we're still like not totally clear on her, uh, her past with the you know the Russian mob and all that stuff. So maybe there's something there. Yeah, yeah. But we learned something. Like Katya doesn't consider herself a mail order bride, right? And I, I think I always assumed she was, and now I'm like, oh, or did they just, like, meet on Match.com or something? <laughs> well, there are sites, I think, that are, you know, less mail-order bridey and more like Russian women want to meet you. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And I could definitely see Higley, like, you know, some night feeling lonely on the internet. He goes on and, like, starts emailing a, a Russian lady. And I can also see that he would be, he'd probably be all right if you only ever emailed him. Yeah. You you don't hear his um, you know secretly deeply misogynistic and homophobic thoughts on everything because yeah. it never comes up in email. Yeah, hey, that, I'm sure that's a very very common thing that happens. Yeah, and uh, yeah, if you've been in prison for 15 years, you're not going to know what catfishing is. I thought that was so funny, uh, um, and I could, it took me a second. I'm like, do they not know what catfishing is because they're older or because they or she's been in prison for so long? Uh, it reminded me of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I'm yeah. like, oh, there are some things that have happened in the last two years that you might not know about. Yeah. Um, and I know they have uh, they have cable. They get to watch uh, they get to watch some toddlers and tiaras and <laughs> they've got some they've got some TV watching to do, but I imagine maybe MTV wasn't high on that list. Right. At least not for red. I'm definitely I, not I'm sure for red. Tasty and Pusey are caught up, but yeah. Uh, yeah, probably not top of the list for her. Yeah. Yeah, and um the I thought the more troubling thing, like maybe the hardest thing to be married to someone like this, uh the fact that he drools like a child mm-hmm. that's wet the bed. Right. Yeah, I guess I I wouldn't care for it either. Yeah, I can see I can see where Katya has some real legitimate concerns here. Right. 
Um, but Red kind of sticks up for Healy in a way that whether she's working an angle or whether she is uh, genuinely feeling for the guy in this situation, this very difficult marital situation, we have yet, that's yet to be determined. Maybe it's both. I don't really know. Yeah. I, I'm interested to see how their relationship develops and what we learn yeah. about the two of them. I mean, given that we've had two pretty big scenes with the two of them, mm-hmm. I have a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot more of that going forward. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so looking forward to seeing that and more information as that develops. Um, we got a little bit of falling action from um, Daya. Uh, Bennett does not look like he's coming back. Nope, they are pretty pretty upfront about that, and uh, it's kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop when she really figures that out, and uh, her heart breaks. I can't uh, can't even imagine. It was so cute and that they were planning her wedding and uh, at the beginning, but it's not uh, not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, and apparently the cute guard of the prison is not Bennett. No, yeah, that that was surprising to me too. But uh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, second cutest out of all the guards probably is Ford. Yeah, I like Luke Jack, too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'd call him cute, though. No, that's fair. Yeah. And he probably doesn't smell good. That, that is true. Yeah, I'm going to guess that Luke probably smells a lot like, you know, weed and dirty laundry all the time. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, and O'Neal probably smells like um, powdered sugar. Oh, that's kind of adorable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, what does every guard in the yeah, prison smell you, like? Uh, what do you think Belle smells like? <laughs> uh, I mean, she's probably, she's probably got a signature scent, you know. Yeah, I bet. I bet she's like an unscented deodorant type. Yeah. Yeah, she's very tough. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so I guess uh, Piper and Alex have had their, uh, their hate sex ruined by their reconciliation, which I guess that's good. I think we've had enough of that. Yeah, agreed. And I guess the final, the final major thing that happened this episode and maybe my favorite scene of the series to date. Yeah. Um, is the sad send-off of the prison library. I know. Oh, Poussey and Tasty, they're so great, and they're so smart, and I just, I love that this hit them so hard, because it hit me hard, too. Yeah, it's hard to see books get destroyed, and I really liked Poussey's observation that there's nothing she can say that wouldn't be better said in a book. Yeah, isn't that so sweet? And I just they, and I love that they listed the names of all the books and the authors. It was just wonderful. Yeah, um, and a surprising collection of people have turned out for the book funeral. Um, Blanca's line about she likes reading more than she likes her actual life. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the reasons. And I was looking up like references to books on Orange Is the New Black. There's a Tumblr out there. That what do you mean? There's a Tumblr that contains every single literary reference oh, that's cool. ever been in Orange is the New Black, including like people will screen grab pictures of bookshelves and then list all the books they see. It's very involved. That's awesome. And I have a feeling like this episode is going to kind of deal a big blow to that Tumblr, which, you know, BuzzFeed yeah. named it one of the best Tumblrs of the year last year. Oh. 
but I, at least there will be there will, those girls will always be talking about Harry Potter and stuff. So hopefully that that continues. Yeah, and he, one of the things that I've loved about this show from the beginning is so many great book moments um, where they just kind of reference things that maybe you came in with a preconceived notion that they're not going to be particularly literary and somebody surprises you like Suzanne busting out a Shakespeare monologue. Yes. Or uh, Piper's rant about Robert Frost is one of my favorite moments of the entire series. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I think, I kind of love that. It's very educated television. And um, I think it's important for the show to continue showing how, you know, how smart these people are. And that that was a really uh, great way to do that. Yeah. We have some kind of... Um you know, and some great moments to really poke fun at um, New York City in particular. Two of the things that stood out to me was the, the line about the Jonathans. Um, what is that? There, there's been a long-running joke about uh, modern-day literary authors all being named Jonathan, and there's like a certain like cult of white boy, uh, young hipster authors like Jonathan Franz and Jonathan Lethem, mm-hmm. and I liked that they referenced that. That's funny. And there's also, I, I loved the line where Nikki and her friends are waiting in what looked like maybe the East Village, and they make a reference to, like, you might you might be unhappy with all these coffee shops and fancy, and little fancy boutiques, but you're going to be sad when they're replaced by luxury housing and banks. Yes. Because that's, that's New York City, like, in a nutshell. I like that. And when they were like, uh, oh, it's not like the old days. And they're like, you moved here in 2007. Also very New York City. Yeah, yeah that, that's great. I always kind of forget that this show takes place in New York. Yeah. And I think they do try to point to the diversity of the population where not everybody is from New York. Like, right. People come from all over, but the prison itself is in upstate New York. So you do get a lot of people like, um, you know, Piper, the Brooklyn, the Brooklyn genteel hipster. And you have you have Nikki and her friends, like the sort of young hip folks that um, grew up there. Yeah, yeah, the gossip girl types. Um, And so it does bring the girls on heroin. (laughs) Yes. Gossip girls on heroin. Um, But it does bring in a variety of experiences, like even just around the metro area, which I have really enjoyed. And I think it's something that comes up a lot. Um, Many of the characters are, have connections to the area. And I've actually, I, I get very excited. Like, they film a lot in Brooklyn. They don't film so much in Manhattan, but if I'm ever in Brooklyn and I see a sign that they're filming, it's happened a couple of times, I get very excited. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and later this season, um, hopefully we're going to be talking to a couple of people from this area um, that have been extras on the show. Um, and they do. Wait. Yeah, it's going to be very fun. Um, they film on the lot of an abandoned um, pediatric psychiatric hospital is Ooh, the setting of Litchfield. Yeah. And it's apparently I was reading an interview today that where some of the actors talk about how they think it's haunted. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of other there's a couple of other characters. We've had a few like passing moments from this episode that I think we're probably going to see more from in later episodes. Um, like I think they are setting up Norma and Gloria to kind of, there's a little bit of a rivalry there. Definitely. And I'm not sure which one of them has more actual magic. Yeah. 
I like that they both have magic, though. Uh, we'll see. I think Norma is the one that we need to learn more about. So excited to see where that goes. Yeah. If Norma does not get a flashback episode this season, I'm going to be very upset. Yeah. I, guess, I think she will. Yeah. And the question of the day, if if someone put their all their bad thoughts and juju into an egg, would you eat it? Absolutely not. Would you? No, I don't think so. No. I'd, I'd be afraid I might eat my own egg back. Right. Yeah. I could never. Yeah, it's Pusey's concern. Um, yeah, I don't blame her. Yeah, and um, we got a little bit of good line. We got several good lines from Pensatucky. Um, like her thought that she doesn't really want to think too hard about getting out, just in case, like she, it never happens, and she's not. So she's not disappointed. The double reverse negative jinx. <laughs> I, I get that. I loved her at the end. Just be like, look at the bright side. It can't get any shittier. Which <laughs> uh, is true. Yeah, yeah, she's really like like we've said. Tuggy is not very, she's not she's not very subtle. No, pretty much ever. Um, so this was just, I guess, because so much of the episode was tied into Nikki and her arc, um, and yeah, it's pointing to the fact that we're not going to see her again. It's incredibly bittersweet. Um, I know, kind of a eulogy on Nikki. Yeah, Natasha Leone is such a fantastic yes. actress. And I've loved her in everything I've seen her in. Um, so I'm hoping that we will find some way to bring her back somehow, but it's not, Outlook not so good right now. No, I would be surprised if she doesn't come back at some point down the line, even if it's next year. But yeah, she's such a favorite and she's such a gem that uh, this show without her is definitely not the same show. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know who's going to step up with the dry running commentary, but it's going to be... there's no one. There's no one. All right, Taylor. So I think that pretty much wraps up episode three. Yeah, there, there we go. Yeah, so uh, once again, we are uh, we're going to be dropping an episode every couple of days from here on out to the end of the season. Um, so we would love to engage with you guys. However, you want to get in touch with us about this or any upcoming episode, you can feel free to tweet at us. Um, I am Haymaker Hattie on Twitter. I am Taylor Cotter. And you can also leave us comments uh, underneath any of the single podcast episodes that you see on poshorecaps.com. You can review us. We have our own feed in the iTunes store. And anytime yeah. you review us, it boosts our rankings and it makes us feel pretty good. Um, as long as they're good reviews, of course. If you have bad reviews, yeah. I guess constructive criticism is always welcome. But, you know, if it's just – if you're just shooting your mouth off, yeah. feel free to keep that to yourself. Keep um, that to yourself. Yes. And we also – there's a feedback form on poshorecaps.com. You can – you can use that to send us emails and get in touch with us. We would like to hear from you however you feel like it's necessary. And until episode four, I guess that's everything we need to say. So we'll see you again um, once you are done with the next episode. Yeah. All right. Talk to you guys later. The animals, the animals, trap, trap, trap till the cages fall. The cages fall, the day is new, and everyone is waiting, waiting on you. Yeah.